This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. There are local reports in Ohio that say Joe Burrow has already been notified by the Bengals he will be the number one pick tomorrow night. Obviously, there's no surprise there. He's the safest bet in the draft. But who's the next safest quarterback on the board? The popular opinion seems to be Herbert because of Tua's hip, of course. However, I see it the opposite way. I think drafting Herbert is a far bigger risk than drafting Tua. I get there aren't many medical reports out there and teams haven't been able to get their hands on Tua, but he's in an NFL city working out. He's in Nashville. He's been working with Trent Dilfer. Apparently, he's gone through every checkup and passed with flying colors. In fact, here was Trent Dilfer on Fox Sports Radio a few weeks ago just telling us exactly what Tua's gone through on the medical circuit and what he has to say against criticism that Tua might not be as medically sound as many are leading on. Uh, You know, it's like politics. There's a lot of agendas at play. There's a lot of people that use other people in the media to get their messaging out. I only can go off of what I I know, and I know that the, the doctors, one that the NFL uses to clear the hips, have all cleared them. Um, Dr. Kane, a surgeon, I never did anything with him. We never did anything with him before he cleared those tests. He's had multiple rechecks by teams that are interested in him, his, po- his combine recheck. He's passed every benchmark with flying colors. In fact, most of his rechecks, people have kind of dropped their jaws and said we, we could never have anticipated him being this healthy at this time. I'm not a medical expert, but I've watched video and I see the same quarterback I saw slinging it in Tuscaloosa the last handful of years. One of the best quarterbacks I've seen come out in the last decade, maybe last decade or two. Also, the NFL has gotten significantly safer for quarterbacks. A lot of that due to rule changes. Remember, Carson Palmer was hit low. As a result of that, you can't hit quarterbacks near their knees anymore or it's going to be quite the penalty, dished your way, and fine. Remember at the start of the 2018 season, there was the controversial rule change where defensive linemen or edge rushers couldn't put their full body weight on quarterbacks. It led to some penalties that looked childish, looked like it was pillow fighting out there, but the ultimate goal was to protect quarterbacks, and it has worked. I've gone through... Every single quarterback that's been drafted in the last five drafts and has played at least five games, starting five games in the NFL, and there's 22 that I've found. In the 22 quarterback cases, the last five drafts who have started five games, only three of the 22 have sustained long-term injuries. Those quarterbacks... Carson Wentz, Deshaun Watson, and Trevor Simeon last year on Monday Night Football. But if you go through all the quarterbacks, last year, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, Gardner Minshew. 2018, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, 
Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, Mason Rudolph. 2017, Mitchell Trubisky, Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Kaiser. 2016, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, Cody Kessler. And 2015, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Trevor Simeon. That's a lot of quarterbacks. Uh, And that's a lot of games started. Only three of them have sustained significant injuries. Two out of the three did so scrambling. Deshaun Watson, his rookie year, I think in week nine or ten, and Carson Wentz, who was scrambling against the L.A. Rams in a year he was likely to win the MVP. The Eagles went on to win the Super Bowl anyway. Those are mobile quarterbacks who have gotten hurt, with the exception of Simeon. And it's funny. Herbert, the best comp I've seen out there for Herbert is Wentz. That's what he is. Big arm, comes out of a non-traditional pro-style system in college. Oh, he has all the parts. He looks the part. He's big. He's mobile. Best case scenario, Herbert is Wentz. And Wentz, while I love him, I that's a quarterback I want on my team. He's one of the three quarterbacks who have been injured out of the 22 who have started five games among those drafted in the last five years. Also, in evaluation terms, the SEC is a far better league to gauge talent in than the Pac-12. You're just facing more NFL players. I don't think it's coincidence when you look at draft grades a year or two out from drafts. Usually the guys who are underdrafted come from the SEC. They are more prepared to transition to the league and have success early on because they're already playing guys who belong in the league that are essentially pro players. The Pac-12 isn't a strong football conference. They've been down the last handful of years. And he wasn't even dominant in that league either. Good numbers, but Oregon, not a dominant team. Good last year. They upended Utah when they needed to at the end of the year. If they didn't play Auburn in the opener, maybe they're competing in a college football playoff game. But I never thought, wow, Herbert is really dominating things right now. Never got that sense. And I watch a lot of college football. But if you're still hung up on the injury, I just need to remind you this. Injuries are a part of football. Most of the great quarterbacks, they've had at least one serious injury. One serious long-term concern. With Breeze, it was his shoulder transitioning from San Diego to New Orleans in 2006. Peyton Manning, he had the neck. Brady tore his ACL. Carson Palmer, Donovan McNabb, Heck, if you go outside of quarterback, Frank Gore, he tore up his knee when he was in college, and he's still running around. That was nearly 20 years ago. If Tua isn't healthy, let's just say hypothetically the Chargers or the Dolphins take him, and he's not healthy, history isn't going to look poorly on the GM. I don't think anybody says, oh, man, Sam Bowie, That was a real bust. No, Sam Bowie, he dealt with a lot of injuries. Greg Oden wasn't a bust. No one drafted Greg Oden to think, oh, this guy, he's going to get injured. No one could have foresaw that. If you get injured, you're not a bust. RG3, he's not a bust. 
I don't put that in the same category as Ryan Leaf. I don't put that in the same category as Kwame Brown. If guys are injured, that's a lot different than somebody just missing in their evaluation of their talent. I think this pandemic that we're going through right now, we're going to remember this draft because it's going to be unlike any draft we've seen. And if you miss on Tua because of medical evaluation, if you miss on him and he's never really the player you thought he was going to be resembling what you saw at Alabama, it's a risk, sure, but I don't think it's big of a risk considering what we know now from Trent Dilfer and seeing him workouts as passing on him and taking this guy who's not as mechanically sound, not as dominant of a player in a lesser conference, and also somebody who might put himself in more danger as a mobile quarterback. On Twitter at Sports Up Triad, if you'd like to chime in, Robert Walsh, the producer of this show. We've got Aaron Gabriel in here as well. Your thoughts, welcome, 336-777-1600. Jones Angel, the voice of the Tar Heels, going to join us in 20 minutes. We'll talk about Michael Jordan, the last dance. We're going to spend time on North Carolina football recruiting because, man, Mac Brown, it continues to roll on the success that the Tar Heels are having on that front. Top 20 class this year, number two class right now in 2021. The NFL draft, it's going to go on as scheduled. We've known that. Tomorrow, it's going to be the virtual draft. Roger Goodell was on ESPN earlier today. And there are people that have criticized the commissioner for going on with this draft. Heck, even inside the NFL, anonymous people saying, I don't know why we're doing this. It doesn't make much sense. We can't even go into the facilities. And I loved this answer by Goodell talking about adapting during the crisis. I think we demonstrated that here with the draft uh, in our off-season programs, that you have to be willing to adapt. You have to be prepared to adapt. Uh, you, can't, uh, you can't expect um, or anticipate every move, but, you, but your job is to try to be as prepared as possible. Yes. Everybody. You and your home, if you're listening there. People who are salespeople in a time where economics are quite different and have changed in the last two months. Everybody's having to adapt. Sports talk radio hosts, they're having to adapt. NFL GMs, they're going to have to adapt. Those who make the fewest excuses and go on with the process are going to have the most success. It worked out for the WNBA draft last Friday. It worked out for the XFL. The NFL has more resources, more tests, more safeguards to try and make this happen. It's going to proceed just fine. It's just not going to be as good as a TV show. Like, the spectacle of sports is sports' greatest appeal, in my opinion. I always have to remind myself of that. Most people who watch live events, who go to games, aren't actually hardcore sports fans. They... They're there because you have an opportunity to cheer at something, to boo at something. You're there because it's a social gathering. It's a social event. It's something to do. It's a story to tell in the office. It's entertainment. Somebody wins. Somebody loses. That doesn't mean you're a hardcore sports fan that cares about the X's and O's and really cares about how a team comes together in the drafts case. The spectacle, the TV show is what draws most people, I think that's going to be lacking. But as someone who loves the NFL, loves college football, and loves the draft, quite frankly, 
I'm not going to be bothered at all by this virtual draft tomorrow. I cannot wait for it. Coming up, the lowest point we've seen for sports evil empire. This is The Drive. We're back on the air. It's The Drive. You suck. And yet you keep returning. Sports talk. It's offensive and people can get hurt. The Drive with Josh Graham. It ran. On Sports Hub Triad. We are now being joined by the voice of the Tar Heels, Jones Angel. And there are a lot of things I want to talk to you about, Jones, because I thought last weekend, what a big weekend it was for North Carolina, where on Friday, Mac Brown lands a couple of recruits from the triad area. Right now, the number two class, according to 24-7, nationally, only trailing Ohio State for 2021 after booking a top 20 class for 2020. Then I see on Saturday, Coach Williams continues the lineage of Kinston players to Chapel Hill by landing a four-star point guard from out east. On Sunday, the last dance, it debuts episodes one and two. Roy Williams seemed to be throwing 100 miles an hour in his brief appearances in that. So there's a lot to get to, and we'll start with the last dance. What's the best Jordan Tar Heel story you've been told, either from Coach Williams, Woody Durham, or whoever, uh, being as connected as you've been to Carolina for what seems to be forever? Oh, you know, Josh, I don't know if I have one that, that is super unique or, or one that, that people haven't heard before. I, I do think the, the one that Coach uh, talked a little bit about uh, in the second episode that came on uh, this past weekend about Michael Jordan coming to, to camp for the first time and how you know they had heard about him and, and they knew who he was and they knew they were going to keep their eye on him, but they really weren't sure – uh, what they had when he showed up, and and then you know just a couple of days later they they thought that he was one of if not the the best players in the country and somebody that they were going to need to prioritize immediately. And I think it's so funny to think about Michael Jordan coming to a Carolina basketball camp. I mean that that's not quite how recruiting works uh, anymore these days. Uh, those guys are going to much more uh, specialized camps than just uh, random kind of school camps. Although I guess Justin Jackson came to Carolina's camp as a, as a young guy too, but um, it, you just don't see that happen very often. And um, yeah, it was a great weekend for Carolina. Uh, and, and I thought the, gosh, the, the documentary itself um, so far is, is just terrific. I think the, the footage they have, uh, the, the people they've been able to talk to, uh, the, the way that they wove the story together and, and with kind of the anchor being that, that final season in Chicago, but by telling a bunch of other stories around that, um, it really was uh, an enjoyable two hours. I'm sure most people uh, felt that way if, if they were interested in and watched it. And certainly from the Carolina perspective, there was some uh, some great stuff there to show off the Tar Heels and show off George's relationship there. And um, certainly all positives for Carolina, to be sure. We were talking to Mac Brown about the fact that Carolina football is one of the few programs in the country that has Jordan brand gear and such and i'm seeing on social media the way that they're capitalizing on the last dance it has to give you a bit of a recruiting bump when everybody's at home watching mj and you see coach williams there you see michael jordan and oh yeah jordan brand stuff it's still uh, the most popular basketball gear but making its way in the football world as well but while we're talking about football what makes mac brown such an effective recruiter as somebody who <laughs> has seen it grow because Man, I've always felt North Carolina, it might be a bit of a sleeping giant considering all the resources that are there. It just doesn't seem like North Carolina's had 
somebody of Mac Brown's quality there since, I don't know, Mac Brown was there in the 90s. Well, I want to be clear about a couple of things. One, yes, Carolina has a lot to sell on the on the football side of things, and I do think the Tar Heels clearly are have some positive momentum right now. Um, and Carolina, regardless of head coach, is a great place to be. Um, having said all of those things, Mac Brown is unique. Mac Mac Brown is an elite, not just coach, but an elite recruiter. He, he is as good as there is in the nation. Um, and in college football uh, at doing just what he's doing. And, and that is showing off his program. That is uh, connecting with both individual players and their families. Um, that is being able to clearly, concisely, and effectively uh, state his message. Uh, that is make sure that the people who are the best players that are closest to him uh, really have to think hard if they, if they want to leave this state or if they want to leave this area, they've got to really think hard about it because he's going to put on the full court press. And um, he's as good as that. It is anybody in the country. He's built a terrific staff around him, uh, both who are great coaches, but know this state, know this university, have ties to the area in one way or another. Josh, we, I'm sure we talked about it um, when Mac Brown was hired, that, that part of uh, his plan was to put together a staff that was not just good football coaches, but guys who knew this area. I mean, Jay Bateman had recruited uh, North Carolina, for example, for years and years and years at, at other places. And so even though he didn't have a direct tie to UNC, he knew the state of North Carolina. Lonnie Galloway is from the state of North Carolina, played uh, college football in the state of North Carolina, has recruited this state multiple years. And so even if it's not a direct tie to UNC, these guys knew the area. And so when you add in that powerful staff uh, of really good coaches who know this area, who are great at relationships, and you top it off with, uh, I think, the the best head coach recruiter in college football um, – that's a good combination, especially when you're selling somewhere like Carolina that has a lot to offer both athletically and academically. So um, it has been a perfect marriage in that regard for Carolina, and I think you're seeing the results uh, both on the field. You saw the, the Tar Heels better last year in making growth and, and on the recruiting trail as well. To go a step further, though, is it even more impressive to you that it's happening while North Carolina's in the same conference as Clemson and also just as Close proximity to Clemson. Clemson, I mean, they bring in Eric McLean. They bring in Tanner Muse. They bring in K.J. Henry. They bring in a ton of guys from the state of North Carolina to build this dominant program that they've had in the ACC. And when I look at classes right now, granted, there's a lot of time between now and the early signing period in December, but North Carolina has a ton of North Carolina kids, and Clemson hasn't been able to get any of them, even though they've offered four of them. I mean, doesn't that make it even more impressive that they're going head-on with Clemson, which has been so dominant? Well, I would say a couple things. One is, you're right, there's a long way still to go. And, and you know, especially in football recruiting, um, that it's not over till it's over. And, and Carolina's coaches are aware of that, and, and not just Clemson, but other teams are going to come after uh, some of these guys because they're really good players. And so um, Mac Brown, his staff, are aware of that, and, and they're going to make sure that they do their best to hold on to the guys that they have and then hopefully, uh, for their sake, continue to get some more uh, high-quality players. Um, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and claim that Carolina is is going, you know, is surpassed Clemson at this point in in any way. For I think sure. the Tigers, um, along with Alabama, uh, have set the standard 
over the last several years in college football. And, and Mac Brown has been very open in saying that that that's where the Tar Heels want to be. They, they have a very clear target to shoot at because Clemson's not very far away, both geographically uh, as far as the conference is concerned or where the Tar Heels want to be. All those things um, are right there in front of them, and they have a good example of a school that is not terribly dissimilar. They're certain, I'm not claiming Clemson and Carolina are the same. Um, they're, they're not identical twins or anything, but, but they're, not, um, uh, they're not so far on the spectrum uh, that, that they're playing on an unlevel field, so to speak. And so um, I think Carolina has that target. I think they understand that, that Clemson's the one that they're shooting at, and, and that gives them a very defined thing to go after. And so when you are beating schools like Clemson or Alabama or some of the schools that the Tar Heels have been able to beat for some recruits, um, that's great. That's a start. But but you don't want to do that with one guy or two guys. you got to start doing that with 10 or 15 guys if you want to get to that point. That's not easy to do. I think the Tar Heels have taken those initial steps and have some really positive momentum. Um, but to, I, I think I would be wrong if I sat here and, and claimed the Tar Heels are at the top of the mountain right now. They're, they're climbing. Uh, but they still got a long way to go. Very well said. Jones Angel with us, the voice of the Tar Heels on Twitter, at Jones Angel. I want to get to a basketball note before I let you go because I started looking at the way Luke May jumped from his sophomore season to his junior season, and I see the way Garrison Brooks last year leapt from his sophomore season to his junior year in terms of productivity, and now North Carolina's trying to they already bring in a great recruiting class it seems like on paper and you bring a lot of guys back as well which is going to help certainly but who's a guy you look at that would that North Carolina would most benefit from taking a similar leap to other guys we've seen under coach Williams that's a good question Josh and it's a weird time right I mean it's it feels like it was forever ago because of everything that, that everybody's going through um, that, that Carolina season ended. But, but clearly the Tar Heels uh, need to make some growth. I, I do think that uh, the recruiting class that the Heels are bringing in are guys who can help them immediately. Um, they're really, I think, can improve their talent level in total and their depth uh, with the group that they have coming in. And, and that depth hurt them last year, as we know, with all the injuries that the Tar Heels suffered. They got really thin there. Uh, in the middle portion of the year, and, and that really hurt him. Um, as far as guys returning, I, I really do think there's two, um, and that's Leaky Black and, and Armando Baycott. Um, both those guys um, have played a lot of basketball in their, for Leaky about a year and a half because he missed half his freshman year due to an injury, and for Armando in, in the one year that he's been here, and, and they've both had some terrific moments, um, but I think they both uh, could really be more consistent and can show a lot of growth. Um, and they're guys I think Carolina will, will lean heavily on next season. And, of course, I think when you're talking about the Tar Heels, also you always have to think about the point guard spot because that is so important uh, for Carolina and what, and what the Tar Heels do. And so you know, whether that is Leaky Black playing some there or if it's the freshman Caleb Love who's coming in, who's so highly regarded and, and seems to be just a terrific player, if it's Jeremiah Francis getting a little healthier and, and starting to give Carolina – some more consistent minutes there. I think whoever is at that spot, um, their growth, not just between this moment and when the season starts, but when the season starts and, and the season ends next year for Carolina, I think that'll be really important as well uh, because that is such an important position in what the Tar Heels try to do. What's the best thing you've watched or the best thing you've read in the last month and change? <laughs> Man, I've uh, it, it, there's been a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, I have read a couple of books which I've enjoyed. Uh, kind of catching back up on that. I've 
Uh, I've been watching a lot of The Office on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> that's been a lot of fun. Uh, the Jordan documentary, obviously, that we talked about, yeah. those were great. I'm really looking forward uh, to the next couple of uh, weeks with those. Um, it's been fun both for some per, uh, professional stuff that I'm doing and just for the heck of it. I've been watching a lot of old Tar Heel games, too. Some of them I remembered and, and some of them I didn't. And so getting to watch some old games is always fun. YouTube's a great uh, great. Uh, treasure trove for those so um, I've enjoyed doing that too but as much as I enjoy doing all those things I, I like everyone else am, am ready for uh, things to get back to normal as quickly as they can I understand it's important not to jump into that too quickly and so hopefully we can all get through this here in the next uh, couple of weeks and months right on Jones it's good to hear from you thanks for doing this always good to talk with you Josh talk to you soon yeah, likewise that's Jones Angel the voice of the Tar Heels on Twitter at Jones Angel Angel all right, Robert, we can go ahead and hit it. He talked about Leaky Black. He talked about Armando Baycott. Armando! Yeah, a little bit of Tar Heel basketball plugged in here as well. One of the greatest coaches of our lifetime claims he's never sent a text or an email. I'll tell you who that is next. We never want to hear you're disappointed with our programming. Hell no. Let's avoid that. So please, keep it to yourself. Just know that. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. So Nick Saban was on Dan Patrick this morning and said... He's received text messages from players, from the former assistant coaches, from current assistants, but he never has sent a text message. He says he always calls when he gets a text to get back in touch with somebody. He also claims that he's never sent an email, but Robert says he has reporting that uh, contradicts that statement. Uh, yeah, April 8th, uh, ABC and a couple other news outlets picked up a story about Saban learning to email and text during social distancing. Uh, and it says that Miss Terry, which is his wife, uh, fired herself from being his uh, office manager and that he has had to manage his own emails and texts since then. So I do not believe them. This And this is back in April. Dude, you can never tell me that this guy. It is April. It, this guy. It, it is May, right? We're Almost in April. May. Okay, April 8th then. Whatever. This quarantine's running together. Uh, you can't tell me that this dude's never texted a recruit, never said, hey, glad to have you on board. Hey, how's it going? It's not. He's acting like it's rocket science. The dude literally has the, the most pro-ready and complicated defensive scheme, offensive scheme, but he can't type letters and hit a blue key. I, I don't buy that. You don't I, think Nick Saban ever sent the LOL text? That's what I'm saying. He's definitely sent it. He's sent LOL IDK? I think he's saying before that, before his wife fired him, so to speak, he's starting to figure it out now. But before that, he hasn't sent any text or emails. He sent text. I, I, I'm going to look and find players that have like, yeah, Saban texted me. I'm going to pull that because this is, this is baloney. I, I don't believe it. It sounds like me and Saban are cut from the same cloth. I'm not a big texter. I'm all about the phone call. Here's a popular Josh move. I get a text, and I'm doing something, so I pull it up and read it, and I don't respond, but I still have my read receipts on. 
So then somebody gets mad at me later on. Hey, why did you text me back? How'd you know? Oh, shoot. I have my read receipts. I still haven't turned those off yet. I don't know why. Like, I've had internal conversations with myself. Yeah, I probably should turn off read receipts, but I've never done it. You two strike me as people who are smarter than I am that have the receipts turn off. Am I right on that? Yeah, I've got mine turned off. You don't need to know if I've seen it or not. Aaron. Yeah, mind your business. 336-777-1600. All right. Robert, grab yourself a pack of cards in here real quick. Texted Julio Jones. I'm telling you, he has sent a text before. (laughs) Give me the context. So goofy. Alabama's flurry of elite prospects, manned by Julio Jones, says he was texted by Nick Saban. He's been texted by him. Yeah. So Nick Saban, he might have lied this morning to Dan Patrick. It's possible. All that might have happened. Too. Okay. Robert has found him out. So every week we open up a pack of trading cards. I don't know what our last brand was, but we got a new brand of cards here. Oh. Ten cards. It says rookies and stars. That's what we've got here. And we go head-to-head in a trading card clash. Robert's already opened up his cards. Ooh, Blake Martinez. Let's dive headfirst into the imaging. <laughs> this means war! You're a tough little guy, aren't you? This means war! Hey, hey, it's cool, it's cool. This means war. What? Does it have to? Can it mean something else? Okay, you dirtbags! This means war! Finish him! All right, let's come up with categories here. Here are the five I have written down. The categories that we need to slot five of our players into. Most likely to get catfished. Most likely to win the Hunger Games. Most likely to run off and join the circus. Most likely... Oh, snap, I wrote one twice. Best Snapchatter is among the five that I have here and most likely to win in Dancing with the Stars. How are you feeling about your pack of cards right now, uh, right now, Robert? I haven't got to check them out yet, but supremely confident. Aaron's going to judge them. This is a pretty good pack. It might be the brand where we have less no-names on here, even though who is Lil Jordan Humphrey? Oh, I think he played at Texas. He's actually not very little at all. That's what it says, Lil Jordan. I know. It says Lil Jordan on the card? Yeah, that's Lil it. Jordan. That's his actual name. I remember him from last year's draft, but he uh, is not very little. I think he's like 6'4". Yeah. How about this? I've got a ton of rookies. T- like a ton. I don't. Gosh, do you think we should do best Snapchatter or worst Snapchatter? Uh, let's do worst. Okay. I have familiar names, but it's difficult to try and figure out where to put them here. Hmm. Right. That's that's, that's where I'm struggling with is, like, where to put these guys at. All right. I got the worst Snapchatter for sure. 
Most likely to get catfished. Like, what kind of traits does that even entail? Desperation. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. If you're desperate, odds are you are likely to get Snapchat or uh, catfish. Desperate and lonely make for make for catfish bait. <laughs> desperate and lonely. So look through your cars, find the most desperate, lonely-looking stuff. Robert, did you ever think you got catfish before? Uh, I don't think so. But when I was in high school, I actually created a fake dating account to talk to older women. And I catfished people, and it was—it was my friends would come over, and we would. It sounds messed up, but it it was actually a lot of fun. That makes it worse. (laughs) Right. All right. Do you think you have enough slated right now to get this thing started? No, but for the sake of radio, I will say yes. All right. I feel pretty good about where I'm at. I'm gonna start with most likely to get catfish. And I'm going to throw to the table Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper, he could disappear in games. Rex Ryan said he's a turd. Uh, So Amari Cooper is most likely to get catfished in my mind. uh, I'm going to go with Andy Isabella here. Uh, He's a smaller dude, so he's not going to get the same attention that the other large wideouts would get. Uh, And when I say he's white, he's pasty white. Uh, but he's also very fast, which makes me think that he would feel like he deserves more attention, so he would be willing to jump in uh, with the first woman he meets online as an NFL prospect. Aaron, Isabella, or Amari Cooper? Due to Amari Cooper's star power and him being a Dallas Cowboy, I'm going to go with Andy Isabella. Boom. <laughs> oh! <laughs> What the hell? He's a star. He's not going to get catfished. He's gonna Don't you think there's women. more opportunities for him to get catfished? No, he's a high-profile Dallas Cowboys receiver. Yeah, he's going to ask for a FaceTime and picks off the bat. I had to look up who Andy Isabella was. But he, he, that doesn't <laughs> help. You man. Number two, most likely to win the Hunger Games. Gosh, I had two that really qualified for this one. You don't have Ray Lewis? I'm going to go with Nick Chubb. Uh, I went running back, too. I went James Conner for this one. Uh, uh, I feel like James Conner, he beat cancer. He could beat anything. The Nick dude- Chubb is shredded. This guy is huge. And, I mean, I've loved him since he was back in college at Georgia. I'm all about the Chubbs, man. Every, Bradley and Nick. Everybody can be shredded, but until you get shot in the calf with an arrow, it's not going to matter. You're going to need that perseverance from James Conner. Aaron, where are you going? Chubb or Conner? James Conner survived cancer. James Conner. This happens every week. I jump out no, to no, the no. lead. It's always, it's always Robert getting... I'm never going to win this game because Aaron... Cancer. Oh, whatever. Number three! Cancer. That's fine. Number three! <laughs> Most likely to run off at the circus. I'm going Lil Jordan here. Lil Jordan, he would be a midget. I'm, I'm going Lil Jordan Humphrey. You think he's small, and, he's and then he's huge. I see what you're going. That's, That's right. Uh, That's Lil funny. Jordan Humphrey. Uh, I'm going. Place for the Saints, in case you don't know. I'm going Calvin Ridley. I feel like he would be a tightrope walker. He's small. He can keep his center of balance pretty even, uh, and he's like the the lesser known. Uh, wide receiver in Atlanta, so I feel like he would just run off and join the circus because Julio is stealing up all his targets. Ridley or Lil Jordan? Going with Lil Jordan here. All right, I'm on the board. Thank God. 
Most likely to win Dancing with the Stars. I'm going Alvin Kamara. He's... If you've seen any of his post-game interviews, when he wants to turn it on, he turns it on. And he's a versatile guy. can catch it. He has great footwork, both receiving and running. I think Alvin Kamara, great for Dancing with the Stars. Uh, see, this is where I ran into the not having enough talent in my deck. Uh, I'm going to go Jamal Adams here. Uh, I think he's just enough of a star to get invited, but also has just enough athleticism to actually have an efficient run at Dancing with the Stars. Running backs do really well on Dancing with the Stars. Emmett Smith, Marshall Falk, they stand out. So I'm going Kamara in my regard. Who do you got? I've seen Alvin Kamara in an actual dance commercial. Or he was actually dancing in a commercial. So I got to go with Alvin Kamara here. Last up, this is what's going to decide it all. Worst Snapchatter. Robert, you go first. Who do you got? You went first this whole time. Why Phillip would you Rivers. First? All right, Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers is the worst Snapchatter you can find. He's got Strong. bolo ties. He doesn't know what he's doing. There's 11 kids or nine kids running around the house. Philip Rivers, worst Snapchatter. See, I think kids can be good content sometimes. Whether they knock some stuff over, I feel like his if you can work, would be okay. If you can operate. Well, he has a lot of them, so I Snapchat. think he can do it. I have Russell Wilson, who Ooh. I think is going to be an awful Snapchatter. <sighs> He's going to send you pictures of his big forehead. Or he might send you videos of him and Sierra in bed. That that wasn't a Snapchat. That was for the Seahawks. If might you as well have been. If you snap Russell Wilson, you're going to get a picture of his big forehead with one word, like, hey, him Laying on the couch. Uh, I think Russell Wilson is the worst Snapchat. Man, this is Pasty good. white bolo tie, nine-time dad versus the guy who's married to Sierra. Both these guys are insanely corny, insanely cheesy. I feel like they both would send me inspirational Bible verses in the morning. <laughs> uh, gotta pick one. Gotta go with uh, gotta go with uh, Philip Rivers here. Yeah! There he goes. I finally. And that's been the NFL Trading Card War. You were just all feeling like I would never just let you win. Like I'm not an impartial judge. He's trying to get us off the scent. Goodness gracious. This is ridiculous. We're still up two to one. It's all good, dog. Don't worry about it. (laughs) You are listening to WSJS Winston-Salem, WCOG Greensboro, WMFR High Point, uh, WCOG Greensboro. I've already said that. Yeah, those those signals make up sports up dry it. Everybody, listen up! You're on the drive with Josh Graham. I can't believe this. This is insane. Before B dot takes me to grammar school, a couple of housekeeping notes to knock out. The Carolina Panthers have announced what jersey numbers the newest Panthers will wear. P.J. Walker, Houston Roughnecks legend, is going to wear the number six. Will Greer changes his number from number three to number seven, which he wore in college, but that number was taken by Kyle Allen when he arrived. Kyle Allen now a Washington Redskin. Pharaoh Cooper from Eastern North Carolina, wide receiver, number 14. Uh, Seth Roberts, number 15. Keith Kirkwood rounding out the wide receiver's in the slot, number 19, and the premier acquisition this offseason, Robbie Anderson, is going to be wearing number 11, the same number he wore with the Jets. As for Teddy Bridgewater, he's going to be wearing number 5. I don't think there's any surprise there, but that also means 
that Michael Pilardi is going to have to change his number. He's going to be number two. To hear Whitehead wore number 59 with the Oakland Raiders, needless to say, he's not going to be wearing that with the Panthers. Hmm. Whitehead will be wearing number 52. All right. We got, is it Bobby that I'm talking to here? Who do we no got clue. on the line here? I, I, I told you before we got in, and I forgot once all you right. listed all the numbers. <laughs> all right. Who wants to comment on North Carolina, how many years it would take for the Tar Heels to become a football school designation versus basketball school? Who are we talking to here on the line? Yeah, this is Bobby. All right, we got Bobby. Bobby, how many years would it take? It would never happen, just like you guys said. Um, that's got to be a young man who made that comment. Uh, I bet he's not even 25 years old. Uh, Aaron is uh, 34 years old. Is he 34? Oh, okay. Well, I will say this. It would never happen. And you you have examples. Uh, you go from like the early, mid-90s to 2006, 2007, Alabama football was mostly terrible. They weren't very good. They were winning three and four games a year. Yeah. But that's a football school, and the fans are not going to leave them. They'll be upset, but they're not going to leave them. Florida won back-to-back basketball national championships. It was never a basketball school, even winning back-to-back national championships. Yeah. So it would never happen, um, and Carolina basketball wouldn't stay down that long. And if it does, if it did go five or six years, whenever it came back, it would immediately they would forget all about the basket, the football. Uh, I don't g- care if they're winning ten games a year. Uh, thanks for the call, Bobby. I'll give you an even better example, a more recent one: Florida State. Leonard Hamilton's taken that program to the Elite Eight, to the Sweet 16, ACC champs for the first time this year, while Willie Taggart has been awful the last few years. That football program hasn't been the same the last five years. Anybody think the Florida State is a basketball school? (laughs) I don't think so. All right, let's go to grammar school. Josh Graham has his own way of speaking. In high school, he didn't play sports, but he did wear a helmet. And just when you think it can't get any worse. My English teacher wanted to flunk me in junior high. Damn. Thanks a lot. Next semester, I'll be 35. Josh is going to attempt to learn B-Dot's vernacular. I'm from the old school. I got a street knowledge. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's time for B-Dot's Grammar School. I would fire the secretary for keeping horrible stats on last week's numbers, but I am the secretary. So with that being said, I don't know what your score was last week, Josh. I won. He passed. Did he pass last week? I passed. Sarah Bradford then called in. Okay. Took me to the woodshed talking about my Seinfeld watching practices. She did watch the last dance with me on Sunday. Did she enjoy it? She said... It exceeded her expectations. Let's However, go. I looked over a couple of times and her eyes were closed. It seemed she was asleep. Okay. Well. <laughs> um, last week, I think you got, I'm tight, take the ale and want the smoke, messed up with the trap, and gassed up. That's correct. This week, your first word, what is a set? S-E-T. Uh, I have lifelines. You do have lifelines. Aaron, Robert, and if anybody wants to call in and be my who wants to be a millionaire help for this game, 336-777-1600 is the way to do that. A set. I think about a set in the gym context Mm -hmm. where, you know, sets of 10. You do 10 reps in a set, so... 
I'm gonna go ahead and guess that is a set. Like, all right, you do a certain amount of repetitions over and over again in the gym. That is 100% incorrect. Oh. Josh, yes. your logic here is just jet. You went for like a literal definition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested yeah. in it though because I had two things. I was like, it could either get set in spades or I had no idea. Spades, definitely you could get set. In this regard, I just meant your neighborhood, where you rep. What you uh, rep when you rep your set. Your set is your neighborhood. Your set is your crew. Your set is where you're repping. Like it. you rep Sports Hub. That's your set. And West Forsyth. And West For you don't rep <laughs> West Forsyth. Second word for you. You have to get three out of five. Your second word is sauce. I meant Forsyth County. I don't rep. West Forsyth, I did not go to school there. Sauce. S-A-U-C-E. Oh, I know this one. Being around the Panthers as long as I have. Okay. Cam Newton, every time I'd ask him about some of his outfits, he'd always say, oh, man, that's sauce. Yeah. That's sauce, which is like oh, some nice clothes. It's like your gear. Yes, it's, it's style. That's yeah. what it is. Style, confidence, swag. That's your sauce. Thank Good job. You. Good Got job. It. Good job. Yep. Josh, what is a side piece? Uh, huh. Side piece, huh? Dixie. More importantly, who is it? <laughs> yeah. I also have a caller on the line that would like you to answer that. <laughs> I got a feeling you don't actually have a caller on the line. I don't have a caller on the line, no. Candy games. Candy games. This up, would hey. be a girl that you're hanging out with who isn't. Your significant other. That is correct. She is the other woman. Now, for a bonus point, can you tell me the side chick holiday? Oh, I thought you were going to say, <laughs> for a bonus point, can you tell us who your side piece is? No, 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 Can you tell me the side piece holiday? Side piece holiday. Now, this is where you would think a little logically. Okay. Valentine's Day. That is incorrect. Ah! You have to be with your significant other on Valentine's, on Valentine's Day. All yeah. day? Valentine's yeah. Day. Josh is trying day. to slip off. He's trying to dip off. The, I'm like, hey, I ain't got to be with her all day. Josh. We go together, but we ain't like peanut butter jelly. <laughs> Josh on Valentine's Day like, hey, babe, look over there. What's that? Uh, let me think. Let me think. Uh, see if I can give a second guess out here. Uh, I have no idea. February 15th. Oh. Okay, the day after Valentine's Thank Day. You. you understand? Got it. Yeah. I, got, I got you right. now. Right. They clean up on discount candy. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, what is work? Okay. W O R K. Work. I can win it right here. You can win it right here. <sighs> Come on, Josh. You've been listening to some UGK. I think it's like. Taking a run at a girl, right? Like putting in work. That would be like work. You're putting in work. Work is drugs, Josh. It's usually crack cocaine. That's usually what work oh, of is. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. So if somebody yeah. says you got that work, got it. do you have the crack cocaine, Josh? <laughs> I hope you can say crack cocaine. <laughs> I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. Final word here. This is for the win. You're 2-2. Two -two. For the win, what does it mean to flex? F-L-E-X, flex. I feel like I know this. I feel like you should. It's to show off. Like I saw Teddy Bruschi earlier today at his home doing a hit on ESPN. 
He's in his set. I think. <laughs> and there are a bunch of board games in the background. Like, it was a weird flex, but he was flexing the Ooh. fact he's got a bunch of board games showing off. Yes, that is exactly what it is. Flex is to show off in a very non- humble way and i'm a, can i give him another ding for saying weird flex because that was very well used right there good job Josh. Yeah. good job okay now, now for your homework what's the homework put all of these words in one sentence oh lord to tease for your next segment okay okay let me let me think and think about this give me give me 30 seconds 30 you guys seconds. talk amongst yourselves the words are set flex sauce work and side piece. Okay, Dot, I had this for you. Uh, were you actually defending DeBaby on Twitter the other week or, or yesterday? Were you saying that he shouldn't change his flow up or try to evolve? Or I'm thinking, but see, here's the thing. This is my question with changing your flow up versus evolving, Rob. And correct me if I'm wrong. Changing your flow up is changing your delivery. Evolving is changing your subject matter. Do I think he could possibly change up his subject matter when he starts doing different things? Then yes, the subject matter will change to that. But his flow, his delivery, I personally like the baby's delivery, and I don't know why so many people give him a hard time about it. What do you All say? Right. Oh, Robert, what do you say? Yeah, what do you say, Rob? Uh, I don't. I don't have any problem with his music. I thought this album just was very repetitive. He's put out three albums in a year and a half. Yeah. And it, it just kind of runs together for me. Like if I want to hear. Uh, quintessential to baby song. I'll just listen to Suge or something like that. Like it he, he didn't impress me with it this. It was more album. the same. It was 13 tracks, 34 minutes, and I liked maybe three or four tracks. The Miami Dolphins have had interesting recent history with the draft. I mean, one time they drafted a player the day of the draft. He had that work with Laramie Tunsil and a gas mask, but. Now they have all the picks. I mean, they are flexing on teams with everything they have there. And I'm interested to see who the Dolphins are going to take. I mean, everybody thinks it's going to be one specific person they're going to take. But there might be some side pieces there. I mean, the Dolphins, they're flexing. They got some sauce. I don't know. Are players going to be dressed up when they get picked? I don't think so. I don't think they're going to be showing off their sauce. Everybody's going to be in their sets. I'll tell you why it's actually a bigger risk for a team to take Herbert than Tua next on the drive. Providing you with a kind of sports programming that makes some people laugh. <laughs> but most people just wince. Ooh. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. There's been a lot of breaking news during our show today in women's basketball. One of the best coaches we have, Muffet McGraw of Notre Dame. She retires, or she labels it as stepping down, after having the worst season Notre, Dame's ba Notre Dame basketball's had in a while. It just seems like yesterday, Enrique Agumbawale was hitting the game-winning shot for Notre Dame to win a national title. Down season for Notre Dame, Muffet McGraw retires. And the Boston Red Sox, we've been waiting to see what their punishment was going to be after the Astros got hammered in the sign-stealing saga. Not a heavy punishment. Ken Rosenthal reports it's a loss of a 2020 second-round pick, ban of replay operator JT Watkins through 2020 in the playoffs, and he can't have the same job in 2021. Alex Cora, who's already been fired by the Boston Red Sox, he is banned from baseball through 2020 and the playoffs, but 
That's only for his conduct with the Astros. So I'm not going to say it's a slap on the wrist, but it is that compared to what Houston received. Remember, they lost a manager, lost a general manager, lost a lot of draft picks, had a heavy fine, and they're the ones that are going to be remembered as the ones who really steered this scandal that's one of the bigger ones we've seen in sports in the last few years. Now being joined by Ed Harden, our good friend from the Greensboro News and Record. A lot of stuff happening right now. We'll get to the NFL draft and the Panthers in just a bit. But I want to talk about what Mac Brown and North Carolina football has been doing on the recruiting trail right now. Because it's crazy. The 2020 class is top 20 in college football according to 24-7. The 2021 class, which consists pretty much all of North Carolina players um, in this state on this um, in this class right now, they're seen to be the number two class according to 24-7. The only class better, Ohio State. Clemson right down the way is the fourth-ranked class. Did you think, Ed, that North Carolina could get to this point? Is North Carolina the biggest threat to Clemson we've seen in the ACC, let's say, in the last five years? I mean, potentially, if, if Florida State and Miami are going to keep spinning their wheels, then, yeah, Carolina does kind of emerge as that sleeping giant we've heard about for the last you know, 40 years. But, you know, I don't know. I think probably what's happened is what Mac Brown did the first time he was here. He locked up the state. And the kids that were all going to Georgia and Virginia Tech and, you know, Penn State, all these crazy programs coming in here and stealing our players, Mac locked up the state again this year. So, you know, I don't know how he did it. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense that Carolina would be the second – best recruiting class in the country unless this was just that odd year where North Carolina had that much talent because I don't I don't know that these kids know who Mac Brown was I don't think it's that so it's either that he's got the state high school coaches locked up again or there's something nefarious going on which is always the possibility in college football the thing that is more startling the North Carolina having the number two class is that they have a higher class than Clemson. None of the players in Clemson's class right now, they had the number three player nationally decommit yesterday for 2021. None of the players in Clemson's class right now are from the state of North Carolina. Four of the players Clemson has offered has chosen to commit to North Carolina. That's crazy when you consider the proximity there. I think it is too, you know, and I think there again, for whatever reason, Mike Brown seems to have closed the border to Clemson and, and everybody else, but he's also closed the borders that NC State and Duke and Wake and ECU and ASU. This was a this was a, a wild, wild west of recruiting in this state for the last 10 years. I mean, we couldn't keep the best players in. Nobody in this state could establish a foothold within the state that, that let them get away from everybody else. And then Mike Brown comes back and does it in a year. So... I don't know. Either he's a miracle worker or, you know, something else is going on. Ed Harden's on Twitter at Ed underscore Harden. Read his stuff in the Greensboro News and Record. What do you think the ceiling for North Carolina football is? Well, it's never been anything more than what we've seen. You know, it's just a it's a sleeping giant. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a program that's never fulfilled what should be its destiny. If you can win national championships in basketball, why can't you in football? So there's there's always been that that strange friction. I mean, he Mac Brown left the first time because of Dean Smith. He never could win the 
win the fans, so to speak. And I don't think that's changed. I don't think they're, I don't think they're that great a football fan fan base. In fact, I think it's one of the worst. So we're going to see if that ha- if, if if Mac Brown can turn that around, then yeah, Carolina could could be somebody. Yeah. And I'm fascinated to see if attendance follows suit. Like last year, pretty much all the games are sold out. And now, um, well, they have this buzz yet again, having a quarterback, having a star coach that people know. I I think it all comes down to coaching. I really do. Where North Carolina, I don't think they've had a Hall of Fame quality coach since Mac was here last time. But Mac didn't have the cachet at that time that he does now, having coached Vince Young, Colt McCoy, Cedric Benson, Ricky Williams, he's a Hall of Famer. He was on television for five years. Uh, the parents know who he is, as John Dell's pointing out here on Twitter to us. And also, the kids know who he is because they saw him on TV, and they probably know that Texas team as well. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. But I think this comes down to his recruiters going in and introducing themselves to the high school coaches again because – the previous coach had zero relationship with the high school coaches in the state, and that's, that's what cost him his job. Okay, so let's try to figure out what the hell's happening with Wake Forest basketball right now because we haven't heard from John Curry on that front. He did speak to Chris Lee of WRAL last week, but he was told, uh, we saw on Twitter, not to ask about basketball. Connor O'Neill um, was told in a story this past weekend for the Winston-Salem Journal that he – he wasn't going to talk about basketball. Heck, a quote wasn't even produced of a, I'm not going to talk about basketball from John Curry. We see Chondi Brown say, yes, Danny's going to come back. We're going to win and all these things. Paraphrasing, of course. That tweet gets deleted, and Chondi now is going to try ahead to the draft, and if he doesn't keep his name in the draft, he's going to transfer somewhere else other than Wake. It's just very strange. You would think at this time, there wouldn't be any more of an exit interview process. We'd be past that, and a decision would be made one way or the other on Danny Manning. What do you think is happening right now? Well, in terms of players leaving, particularly Sandy Brown, it's the exact same thing we've seen every year. For whatever reason, they can't keep their players. And this is just another example of it. They were stunned by Sandy's decision. They did, not, they did not see it coming. Nobody else did. So you're now in a situation where they almost have to talk to, to let people know what's going on. But what Curry told Connor was he can't talk about it. Not that he won't talk about it. He can't talk about it. Wow. So that suggests to me that there's something else going on. It suggests to me that the process might still be going on or not. We don't know. But it very well could be in the hands of, of someone other than the basketball people. There may be some sort of contract negotiations still going on. They're still trying to raise money. I'll tell you that. I have a theory. They don't talk about contracts at all, but I do know there have been at public institutions cases where a coach would get fired in the month of May or they would wait until after the NCAA tournament because there's stipulations and deals that if you fire a coach past April 1 or May 1, the buyout could go down as much as $500,000, a million dollars, maybe even in some cases $2 million. And if that is the case, May 1 comes around and you're saving that much money, I mean, if you're AD, why not wait? Think about Thad Mata, for example. Um, He gets fired in the middle of May. 
Um, I'm led to believe there's cases where coaches have been fired because there's contract language that says it could be cheaper if you do it at different points in the calendar. I mean, that could be the case. It's a private school. We don't know. They don't have to talk. No, and they're not going to. No, and they're, you know, they're possibly hiding behind that too. And there may be something in that contract. We don't know what, we've never been able to figure out what was in that contract. How surprised would you be if Danny is the coach for next season? I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think that's where we're headed. I don't think there's a way out. I don't see, I know for a fact they couldn't get it done. And they tried for the second straight year and they couldn't get it done for whatever reason. So I just don't think anything's changed. I really don't. I don't think they're in a position to make a move right now. And if they are, boy, it's going to be cold. It's going to be one of the coldest decisions in basketball history if they let him go in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak. Yeah, what is a better look at this point? Is it? I don't think there is one. I mean, what? which one's a worse look, I guess, is the better way, question to ask. Firing a coach and agreeing to a $15 million buyout reportedly or uh, during the coronavirus pandemic, or bringing yeah, Danny Manning back when this team has no chance to win? I mean, I, I, there are no good outcomes in, when you look at it that way. I mean, <laughs> it's going to cost the school money that it doesn't have, or it's going to cost the school even further discord with its fan base, which is completely fed up with the basketball program, and the athletics department, for that matter. I want to Curry was expected from day one to make this move, and for whatever reason, he can't, and he can't talk about it. I, I want to go a step further, though. Wake Forest, what makes it such a difficult um, situation for the Deeks? Is it that they don't have as deep of an alumni base they can tap into to try and get this done, say like the Rams Club or somewhere else, or is it something else I'm not considering? It's the size of the school and the, and the size of the alumni base. If you took every living, degree-earning alum of Wake Forest in the world, it doesn't even fill a football stadium. There just aren't that many alums. So first of all, you're dealing with the, the smallest fan base on earth. It just is. And they're playing in the best league in the history of college basketball. And you can get it up and going. I mean, Casey had it up and going. Um, you had... When Skip was here, he—I mean, good lord—he he had top recruiting classes in the country. Dave and, Odom you know, took him to number one in the nation. Dave Odom was 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 a genius with what he did. But what we see is, if you lose traction at Wake Forest, if you get just a little bit behind, you're gone. You disappear for a generation. It's it's so hard to get it back once you've lost it at Wake Forest. It's just. It's almost unheard of that they can get it back, but they've always been able to. There are ways to, but there's sometimes it doesn't go over well with the with the the old alums when suddenly you get really good in some sport. It makes them nervous because generally that means you've lowered the gate and you've lowered admission standards. A few uh, there, it's, it's a it's a funny it's a funny balance at Wake Forest. A few other things. Ed Harden with us here from the Greensboro News and Record. Who do you view as the best case scenario for the Panthers tomorrow night? Hmm. I mean, everybody thinks they're going to get this kid from Auburn, and I guess I mean, I guess that's the case. They've got to fix that defensive line. They've got to fix the defense in, in general. I mean, they're praying that Isaiah Simmons somehow falls to them, but they'll they probably have to move up. And they need picks more than they need particular players. So I just think I think they sit there and pray for Simmons to fall and just assume they're going to get 
Brown, and then they're just going to have to to pick off corners and and linebackers and whoever else they can get to shore up that defense. I, it's going to be an interesting draft, but I don't think it's a one-year fix. How much fishing have you done? Not enough, I'll tell you that, but um, I'm getting ready to go out here in just a minute. Fish are biting. I can see them popping on top of the water right now. Oh, yeah? How many are you going to catch oh, today? Yeah. I would say between five and ten, depending on how long I stay out there. All right. Well, I'll I'll hold you to that. I'll have a friendly wager. If you, ca- if you catch more than if you catch more than six fish, I'll make I'll set the line at five and a half. If you catch more than five fish, then uh, I'll buy you lunch next time I see you. All right. I'll hold you to that. All right. That's Ed Harden. You're gonna pay too. All right. That's <laughs> that's Ed Harden for the Greensboro News and Record.